Well, church, anybody who knew me growing up would know that my favorite activity in life was playing basketball. <laughs> you know this, right? I enjoyed playing basketball. Sports were everything to me. And I remember after playing basketball in my middle school years, I joined the junior varsity team, the JV team, tried out in my freshman year of high school. And I remember that first strength and conditioning session. I walked into the weight room and up until that point, the only thing I had done was body weight exercises. Uh, push-ups, dips, sit-ups, crunches. But in middle school, I was taller and stronger than almost any of the other kids on my team or that we were playing against. And I walked into the weight room for the first time my freshman year of high school, JV, strength and conditioning, and I looked at the bench press setup. And I had never bench pressed before, but there was a varsity player who was bench pressing and grunting and I looked and there were two large plates on either side of the barbell. And I was like, wow, he's strong. I thought I was strong, but he's much stronger. And I asked someone next to me, how much, how big are those plates? And they said, one plate is 45 pounds. So I did some quick math in my head. And if my math is correct, and it's never been that good, but if it's correct, I know he was lifting 225 pounds. He lifted 225 pounds for 10 reps and he struggled and he strained, but he did it much easier than I thought he could have. And I remember they said, Burns, or, or as they called me back then, TB, they said, TB, you're up next. And so I leaned back on the bench and they placed two large weights on either side. And I remember thinking to myself, this is my first time bench pressing. And I know people have told me I'm strong. I know my team said, you're really strong. Now, I don't know what happened between my eighth grade year and now, but God decided he wasn't gonna add too much more weight and height to my body. Somebody needs to talk to management about that. I don't know what happened, but I was strong back then, or so I thought. And they placed two big weights on either side. And they said, TB, lift, just lift up. We'll walk you through how to do it. I'm like, this is, I don't know what's going on here. They're trying to take me out of here to put two big weights on either side. But to my surprise, as I lifted it up and it fell down to my chest, I was able to push it back up. I was straining, but I was still able to push it back up. And then I did another rep and I was straining, but I was able to push it back up. And, and through a, a stress and a struggle, when I thought some blood vessels were gonna pop in my brain, I was able to get 10 reps with the big weights on either side. And I said, wow, when I put the bar up, I leaned up and I said, that's 225 pounds. And then everything got silent and everyone just started laughing all at the same time. I said, what's so funny? They said, no, TB, that's not those big weights are not the metal weights, those are the rubber weights. So you're actually lifting 85 pounds, not 225 pounds. These are 10 pounds, not 45. And when I tell y'all I was so embarrassed, when I tell y'all I felt like I was this big, I said, these guys can lift all this weight and I can't. And my coach, as I was leaving the weight room in shame, my coach stopped me and said, Tyler, it's okay. You're just not as strong as you think you are. You're not as strong as you think. 
May is Mental Health Awareness Month in our country. And today we're going to talk about mental health. And we're going to talk about mental health for a good reason. Because somewhere at some point in time in our spiritual lives, at some point in time in the construction and expansion of the American church, someone decided to construct a theology, I'm sure not maliciously, I'm sure not out of ill intent, someone decided to construct a theology that said that God doesn't care about our mental health. I don't know when it came into being, but all I know is that if you ever said that you were struggling with depression or sadness, or even some disorder, that that was looked down upon and minimized in our churches. Add in the gendered, layered elements that for a man or a black man to ever say that they were depressed, to ever say that they felt down, to ever say that they dealt with chronic sadness was looked at as a sign of weakness. And I don't know when it came into being church, but at some point to minimize our mental health. At some point in time, we constructed a theology around strength. We constructed a theology that said that only the strong survive. It was much less discipleship, much more Darwinian. We decided to say to people that now the strong people are the ones we're going to put in front. And if you admitted to a weakness, clearly something was wrong with you. Clearly there's something that you're not getting about God. Clearly your faith is small. Clearly you need to pray more. Clearly you're not living right. Clearly something is wrong. And I don't know where we got this idea, but I know for a fact that there are many people in our churches, many people claiming to follow Jesus that are also struggling with mental illness. Can we get real today, church? Can I show you some statistics that will bolster and buffer my point? It's said here in our statistics about from the National Association of Mental Illness that one in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. One in 20 U.S. adults experience serious mental illness. One in six youth aged 6 to 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. One in six youth. 50% of all lifetime mental illness begins by age 14 and 75% by age 24. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. Can I say that again? Suicide is the second leading cause of death. Not only that, but 20% of American adults experienced mental illness in 2019. That's 51 million people. 5.2% of U.S. adults experienced serious mental illness. That's 13 million people. And as we continue on, people with depression, it has real-world impacts on our lives, real-world impact on our productivity. People with depression have a 40% higher risk of developing cardiovascular and metabolic diseases than the general population. People with serious mental illness are nearly twice as likely to develop these conditions. 18% of U.S. adults with mental illness also experience a substance abuse disorder in 2019. High school students with significant symptoms of depression are more than twice as likely to drop out compared to their peers. And students aged 6 to 17 with mental, emotional, or behavioral concerns are three times more likely to repeat a grade. This is serious, church. And if you don't believe these statistics, which it should make it clear how serious this is, just hear it from your pastor. I am not ashamed to say, not afraid to say in front of you, that I struggle with mental health challenges myself. 
that I don't know when it started, but sometime and at some point in my teenage years, I experienced long bouts of depression that would last sometimes weeks and months, and I did not know how to get out of them. I didn't have a language for it at the time, but the truth of the matter is now, under counsel and under, under godly wise people who are navigating this with me, and under trained therapists, I'm able to see very clearly what I struggle and wrestle with. And I just wanna say something here as we level set, as I honestly get down to where you live. I wanna say something that is extremely important for us to hear. Maybe you've never heard a pastor say this, but I actually need you to hear this. Your mental health matters to God. I'm gonna say it again. Your mental health matters to God. God cares not just about your spirit, but your body too. God cares not just about what you do in a spiritual context. God cares about your emotions. God cares about your mind. God cares about your physical health. God cares about all of you. And again, I don't know where this theology came in that God only cared about what happened on Sunday morning, that God only cared about what we do in a ministry context. And God was no longer concerned about our mental, emotional, physical health. It is a lie from the pit of hell itself, unless you think, church that those of us who struggle with mental illness or with mental health challenges or with any sort of darkness that is consistent, even if it has not been diagnosed, lest you think we lack faith. Can I give you some biblical examples? Who had more faith? Who was a man after God's own heart more than David? And if you read the Psalms, you see just how depressed David really was. You see just how he went from, from one end of the spectrum to another on the, the drop of a hat or the turn of a dime. It, was there anyone who faced more challenges than Job? Was there anyone who had more family trauma than Naomi? Was there anyone who wept more than Jeremiah? Jeremiah even said as the weeping prophet that he wished he were never born. This is in the Bible, church. And if you don't believe any of them, what about Jesus who in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, was sorrowful unto death. Do you have a category for the savior of the world having acute, extreme depression right before he was doing the thing he was born to do? Church, this is not a game. Let me say it again. Let me make it crystal. And I know it scares us because we don't always have categories. I know it makes us feel uncomfortable because we have been led to stigmatize people who have any sort of darkness, we have been led to keep them at an arm's length because they are strange or they are awkward, but it is not the heart of Jesus. It is not the heart of God. And there are some of us who are actually struggling with mental health challenges that are undiagnosed. I hope you hear my heart with this. And I've said this in other contexts, but you really need to hear this when it comes to mental health and this surrounding conversation that we cannot lie our way into healing. I'm going to say it again. We cannot lie our way into healing. We cannot look at our lives and see consistent patterns. We cannot look at our lives and see extreme outbursts. We cannot look at our lives and see a pattern of being stretched so thin that we're anxious or our mood swings are uncontrollable and look ourselves in the mirror and say everything is fine. That is not biblical, that is not gospel, that is not what God desires for you. God desires your honesty. You will know the truth, John 8, 32 says, and the truth will set you free. Bessel van der Kolk, he wrote a book 
that I recommend to all of you. It's entitled The Body Keeps the Score. It's about brain, mind, and body in the healing of trauma. This is how Dr. Bessel puts it. Dr. Bessel says the greatest sources of our suffering are the lies we tell ourselves. The greatest sources of our suffering are the lies we tell ourselves. And church, I want you to be free. It's my earnest heart as a pastor. I was recently talking with a group of members and I said, there are some things that we're not going to emphasize too much at our church. We can't emphasize everything in the same measure, but there's a few things, six things in particular, we're gonna throw gas on that we're going to stoke the fires of. We're gonna put more logs in these fires. And one of them is this idea of holistic health. Holistic health. It is impossible for you to be spiritually healthy if you're emotionally immature. It is impossible for you to be spiritually healthy if you are not in a place of health in your mind. And this doesn't mean that we all get to a place of perfection. Many of us will be dealing with mental illness or mental health challenges for the rest of our lives, but it does mean we are earnestly being honest and transparent in order to pursue our healing. And the greatest source of our suffering are often the lies that we tell ourselves. A few weeks back, Pastor Mylena preached a powerful message on 1 Kings 18. She talked about how Elijah was creating an altar against the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And Elijah prays a 62, 63 word prayer and fire falls down from heaven and he puts the prophets of Baal to shame. Then he outruns Ahab's chariot and after that, after all the great successes that he experienced in 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings 19 creeps up on him. And we find a different Elijah than the one that we saw before. We find a different Elijah than the one that we applauded in the previous chapter. He was used greatly by God, but the problem is he's a whole human being. And as a whole human being, something else happened to him in 1 Kings 19. Look at it in verse two through four. It says, so Jezebel sent a messenger, she was the queen at the time, to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of the prophets of Baal. In other words, that's a fancy old way of saying, I'ma kill you. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Can you imagine? I don't know. I don't always have the category for it. But sometimes it seems as though after our greatest successes, we have our darkest moments. After our greatest and, and brightest mornings, we have our darkest evenings. I, I don't know what it is, but Elijah, I can identify with him after a moment of powerful success. He gets to this place where he is stretched so thin, where he is worn down that he expresses the desire to die. I think Elijah says four things in this passage. And I'm going to give you these four things and I'm going to give a biblical as best as I possibly can Christ-centered perspective on them. But I just want to say this before we get into it. I'm not an expert. I'm not giving you expert diagnosis. You need to go to a professional for that. I'm not telling you to self-diagnose yourself. 
But if you see some patterns, you need to go and check those out. You need to have them checked out because that is important for your health. But these are common things that we often say that can be signs and symbols of what is deep down on the inside of us. The first thing that I believe Elijah said in his heart and the text clearly says is I'm afraid. Elijah says, it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2, it, it doesn't really leave anything to imagination. It says that Elijah was afraid in verse 3 and ran for his life. Have you ever been afraid, church? Have you ever had such crippling and crushing fear that you could not move? Have you ever ran from a problem because you were afraid of the outcome? Have you ever gotten to this place to where someone had threatened you or, or you were afraid to go into work because of what was waiting for you? Some of you, have you ever been afraid in your own home? Have you ever been afraid because of what someone threatened to say or do to you? Or maybe you've just been afraid because you feel this creeping feeling that something or someone is out to get you. I want to validate those fears. Because I know for some people, we like to pit faith and fear against one another. I don't believe that's what God desires for us to do. Remember, healing does not come through lying. We cannot lie our way into healing. The truth of the matter is, sometimes we need to acknowledge that there are some things that we're afraid of. And yes, some things that we should be afraid of. And the truth of the matter is, again, in this evangelical world, in this evangelical construction of a theology of strength, many people have lied and they've said they're fine, but they're really afraid. And that fear has frozen them. That fear has got a hold on them. That fear is running down their mental health. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I want to encourage you with a couple of things on fear. We have pitted faith and fear against one another. And I've talked about this before, but I don't know when we thought that the opposite of fear is faith. The opposite of faith is fear. No, fear and faith are not contradictory. But in the times you feel afraid, I do want to say something, that just because it's true doesn't mean it's transcendent. In the times when you feel most afraid, it can be true that you're feeling this way. And it can be true that you genuinely do feel fear and there's a good reason for you to feel it. But my question is, is your truth transcendent? Is the fear that you feel in the moment the most transcendent reality for your spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical life? Or is there something greater than your fear? Is there something greater? Is there something bigger? Is there something more powerful than simply your fear? Is there something more transcendent than simply the moment of true feeling that you have? And I'm not telling you to silence your fears. I'm telling you to put faith in something more transcendent. And this is where faith comes in because here's what we need to understand about the relationship of fear and faith. Can I say this really quickly? In Christ, faith becomes fear's answer, not its silencer. In Christ, faith becomes fear's answer, not its silencer. God does not desire to silence your fears. 
God does not desire to mute the fact that you have come to him honestly and said, God, I'm afraid or come to someone else honestly and say, I'm afraid for my life or I'm afraid what's going to happen to me. I'm afraid to take this step. God does not desire to silence that honest emotion. But whenever fear creeps up, faith answers it. Whenever fear asks a question, whenever fear asks the question, does God really care? Faith says that God knows the number of hairs on my head and he knows when a sparrow falls. And if he knows when a sparrow falls from a tree, then how much more does he know about what I need? When fear asks the question, has God left you alone? Faith responds to that question by saying, God has promised to never leave me nor forsake me. When fear comes and tells you that you should be afraid of death, faith comes in and says, yes, I understand that there is fear there, but yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is still with me in Christ. Faith becomes fear's answer, not its silencer. And we've done the opposite. We've silenced the fears and not answered them. And I believe that what God calls us today to do is to believe in something greater, something more transcendent, something bigger than even our true, honest emotion of fear. And church, that's what Elijah had to come to grips with. He had to be faced with the reality that he's afraid, but that's not the only thing that he had to face. In 1 Kings 19 verse 4, it says, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. The first thing, if it's true that we say often is I'm afraid, you know what the second thing is? I give up. You ever had that moment, especially in the last year in a pandemic where you said it's over? I'm tired. I can't take it anymore. I give up. You ever gotten so exhausted, so worn down? Your mental health was su such in a dire state that you were looking around and you were saying, I can't take it anymore. I give up. I wish that we were more honest as Christians about the times when we felt like giving up. I wish we were more honest about the times where we felt like truly throwing in the towel. We shout our way past it. There's something about us that has lifted emotional highs higher than emotional health. There's something about what we do that after someone has passed through extreme trauma and years of it, we applaud them for overcoming, but we don't equip them with the tools to heal from it. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's the fact that it's awkward for us to sit in it and have a conversation, but there's a lot more people than you know, a lot more people than you think who are looking around at times in their lives, perhaps right now and saying, I give up. God, come take my life here. Elijah is literally ideating about suicide. He's having a suicidal ideation. I know we don't like to think of it like that, but that's using a clinical term to talk about a biblical reality. Yes, that is what Elijah was desiring, to die. And there are far more Christians, far more people who believe in Jesus, far more people who have committed their lives to him than what you know that are struggling with this same reality. You sat down last night and you said, I'm done. I give up. Here's the perspective I want to give you because, again, we have to correct this theology in order to build on it. We have to deconstruct in order to reconstruct. There's something that we have believed in, I like to call isolated strength. 
And this isolated strength is Elijah mentions, makes mention of this. He says, I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah looks and says, all the people have gone before me. All the people have done mighty things. I'm not better than them. I can't do what they did. I can't exceed what they've done. I can't do any of that. So God, take me out because I don't have the isolated strength. The strength in isolation. It's a Western individual mentality that says I must pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I must fight on my own. I can't accept any help. I don't need any help. If I can't do it by myself, then I can't do it. And it's a lie from the pit of hell itself because what God is calling us to is integrated strength, not isolated strength. Strength that is integrated and power that comes from a source that never runs out, from a God who is never tired, from a God who never sleeps nor slumbers, and the integrated strength flows through us. The isolated strength is something that we do in our own sheer willpower and in our own might and in our own strength. But the integrated strength is something that the Holy Spirit of God puts on the inside of us and empowers us to do in church. I'm here to remind you that you have all the integrated strength that you need. But there's not enough isolated strength in your own power to get you through what you're going through. Part of what we talk about when it comes to mental health is the admission that we need help. I need help. And for many of us, that is so hard to say because we have been, it has been ingrained in our hearts that we are supposed to be strong in an isolated way by ourselves, not needing help from anyone else. And it is a lie because God desires for us to have an easy yoke and a light burden. That's what Matthew 10 says. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take on the integrated strength that I give you that is natural from the Spirit of God and put down your isolated strength because it's nothing but a burden. And maybe that would free some of us. Maybe it would free some of us not to think we have to conjure up the strength in our own mind but we're living in the strength that has already been provided for us. That's not the only thing Elijah said. He said, yes, I'm afraid. He said, yes, I give up. But, but here we see Elijah laid down. What did he do? He took a nap. <laughs> he lay down under the brush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. He took a second nap. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And here's the reality that Elijah was facing. He wasn't just afraid. He didn't just want to give up. Elijah was empty. I'm empty. I have nothing to give because I have no strength. I have no power. I have no sustenance. I have no healthy rhythm. I have nothing to give. I'm empty. And God supernaturally through the angel had to supply him with multiple meals in order to bolster up his strength, in order to build up what was lacking on the inside of him. Can I tell you, some of us are struggling with our mental health burned at both ends of the candle. We are stretched thin. And I'm here to remind you, church, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. It's impossible. When you don't have the strength that comes from God, 
when you don't have the health that comes from natural rest, you will flame out, church. You will not be mentally healthy. You will not be what, what is true strength in God. You will not be mentally strong. You will not be able to operate at an optimum level. You will not be able to do what God has called for you to do. And there's a generation of Christians who have, we never take a break and, and sleep is for poor people. And so the rich people don't sleep. And because the rich people don't sleep, then, then we should just keep burning the candle at both ends and we should just keep pushing and never take a break. And it's true, there are times we're gonna push ourselves hard and there's times when the rhythm is gonna be a little bit more rapid but church whoever told you that it's wrong to rest is lying to you whoever told you that it's wrong to rest must understand that Jesus took a nap in the boat in the middle of a storm and had to be woken up to calm down the waves and the winds because Jesus understood the principle of resting Jesus understood that sometimes you need to take a nap sometimes you need to take a vacation sometimes you need to establish some boundaries. Sometimes you need to say no. Sometimes you need to establish and be ruthless about that Sabbath day, that day off. You can't give what you don't have, church. And the question I have to ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves is this. Who told us that we need to work for God, not with him? Can I say it again? Who told us that we need to work for God, not with him? We are not working for God. We're working with God and through his strength. We are not working on our own. We are not working to prove something about God. We are not working so that God can get more glory. We are working. God already has all he needs. God has chosen to allow us to work with him. God has chosen to make us co-laborers in his kingdom and in his vineyard. And we must think we are not doing it all by ourselves. And some of us have placed burdens upon ourselves that God never intended for us to bear. And God says, come work with me, not for me. Not as someone who is a slave but as a loving friend, you're working with me. Bessel van der Kolk, he puts it like this. As long as you keep secrets and suppress information, you are fundamentally at war with yourself. The critical issue is allowing yourself to know what you know. That takes an enormous amount of courage. Whenever we talk about self-assessment, we need to know this, that if we are lying to ourselves, we're at war with ourselves. And some of us need to remove the lies, remove the covers, and be honest. And that's, the, that's where the courage comes in. That takes courage. Elijah said, I'm afraid. He said, I give up. I want to die. He said, I'm empty. You know what he also said, the last thing? He said, I'm alone. I'm alone. Verses 13 and 14, it's in the context of Elijah taking a 40-day, 40 40-night 40 journey to Mount Horeb. And he gets there and he hears a voice, and we'll talk about how he heard that voice in a second, but he gets there and hears the voice, and it says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The bitterness and the river of resentment starts to flow out of him naturally. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. Don't you see, God? I'm alone. I'm by myself. Nobody else is with me. Have you ever felt lonely, church? 
You ever felt like there was nobody else doing what you're doing? You ever felt like you were the first and the only person that was in the situation that you're in? You ever felt like nobody else could understand? You ever felt like you were the only one who was harboring secret pain that you weren't able to tell people? Have you ever felt like you were the only person in your family who had ever been through it and the only person that could understand what you're going through? And Elijah felt this. He felt like he was doing ministry by himself. I'm working for God. I'm doing everything God wants. I've been zealous. And I'm the only one left. And here's what God has to remind Elijah. And he says this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18. He says, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Jesus says, God is saying to Elijah, he's saying there are more with us than you know. There are more people who can identify. There are more people who understand. And even if other people cannot, there are some who have been in the same spot you're in. And I'm here to tell you, church, there are some people who have been in the same spot you're in. They've been suffering in silence. They've been crying themselves to sleep every night. They've been walking around with a chemical imbalance or a clinical depression, and everyone just wanted to pray for them, but nobody really wanted to help them. They're not alone. You're not by yourself. You're not isolated. You may feel alone, but there are other people who can identify. And this is the microcosm of how God responds to all of Elijah's feelings, his feelings of fear and giving up and being empty and beaks. Notice what God says and what it says about God in verses 11 and 12. God looks at Elijah and says, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. You know what I love about God? You know what I really love about God? Is that in the times when it seems like I'm by myself, in the times when it seems like I need a powerful move from God, in the times when it seems like I'm empty, I'm at my wit's end, I'm ready to give up, I'm in such fear, God will gently come and speak and show up. God will gently come and wrap his arms around me. God will gently come and sit in the middle of my pain with me. And I got some good news for you today, church. That the God who sees your pain and your fear and your desire to die and your emptiness and your isolation and your terror and your trauma and your depression, and your anxiety, and everything that is happening in your heart and in your life, the God who sees is also the God who's going to show up. 
The God who sees is also the God who is going to be present. The God who sees is also the God who's not going to leave you by yourself. He's going to show up and he's going to be gentle and he's going to wrap his arms around you and he's going to pull you close and he's going to whisper a comforting word to you. And I don't know about you, but there are times when all I need is God to wrap his arms around me. When all I need is for God to be in the middle of it with me. When all I need just to make it through a night or a day or make it through a situation is God to show up. And I don't know about you. There's at least five people who know what this means. And if this is you, why don't you wave at me? God will show up. It may not come how you think. It may not come when you think. But God will show up in the midnight hour. God will show up in the darkness. God will show up. In the middle of you weeping, God will show up. And I'm a living witness that God showed up. And when God shows up, he's going to speak. Church, I love you enough to care and talk about and emphasize you being holistically healthy, as awkward as it may be, as strange as it may be for us to talk this openly. And this isn't even really that open, but as strange as it is for us to even bring this up, I believe it is essential to your health. And church, I'm going to be very real with you. If you're struggling with mental illness that has been undiagnosed, or you have any inkling that it might be true for you, schedule an appointment. If you have suicide ideation, I'm going to put some numbers up on the screen. And I'm serious about this. Again, we're not just going to give you trite cliches. We're going to give you resources. The National Suicide Prevention Hotline, Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance, the American Psychiatric Association, the Foundation for Research on Education on Depression, the Mental Health Phone Number. We're going to leave these resources up. Take a screenshot of these. Take a picture of these. And if you are ever in the place where you cannot get a hold of us, you need to talk to a professional or a therapist or a psychiatrist or a counselor. Please call these numbers. We would love to help you, but oftentimes, even in our desire to help, we may make things worse. We trust the experts. We trust the science because God is in that truth as well. And so church, we desire you to thrive and above all else, prosper even as your soul prospers. That's not just about money. That's not just about things. That's about your mental health too. Let's pray. God, we love you. And this is a hard subject because for many people, they've suffered so much in such silence. And God, we don't always know what to say, but we know that you see us. And we believe that you are there. We believe that you are the transcendent reality. We believe that you are powerful. We believe also, God, that you communicate to us through a still small voice. Your presence is real. So God, we come before you right now. And we ask that you would lift the heavy burdens that we have placed upon ourselves to maintain a veneer of strength that you never desired us to. The gospel never required us to come to you strong, but it required us to be honest and about our brokenness and our weakness. And so God, we come before you right now and we ask that you would heal us 
from the inside out. God, that you would give us the courage and the strength to schedule that appointment, to hire that therapist, to talk to that family member, to be honest, to call one of these numbers, whatever it may be. God, we ask that you would give us the courage to preserve our lives and not just to preserve our lives for a moment, but to live as healthy as we can possibly be. God, you never promised that life would be easy, but God, you still desire us to be healthy. You still desire us to be pursuing the best for ourselves in every area of our lives. And so God, I pray for those who are suffering in silence. You're not alone. I pray, God, that you would communicate to them in this moment in a still small voice. I pray for those who have been diagnosed and are navigating it, chronic illness, who are navigating postpartum depression, whatever it may be, God, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, anxiety, depression. I pray that there would be no stigmas in this church. I pray that this would be a place where honesty is guarded. I pray that this would be a place where people are not pushed away because they act differently or they're awkward or they're struggling or they're in pain, but that we would embrace them, that we would embrace each other because it's us, God, in need, and that we would pursue health together. God, we thank you that even the greats, even Jesus himself struggled. And you, you let us see that, God. I thank you that you let us see that. So now we can walk in freedom and truth. And we don't have to lie to ourselves because you are the truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love you, church. I love you, church. Your mental health matters to God. Well, church, I hope that that word and worship blessed you. I hope it challenged you. I hope the seeds of the gospel were sown deep in the soil of your soul so that you can bear much fruit. We don't just believe in making decisions. We truly believe in making transformation and discipleship. So if you made a decision for Christ today, I hope and desire that you would reach out to us, that you would type home in the comment section of Facebook or YouTube. We genuinely want to reach out and talk to you and encourage you and walk with you on this spiritual journey. And when it comes to salvation, I just wanna make this clear that it is just a prayer away. That the Bible says that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And salvation is the most important decision you can make, the decision to follow after Jesus. It's not just a momentary statement. It is a lifelong commitment. It is a heart transformation. And so if that's you and you desire a heart transformation, it is as simple as lifting up your hand and saying, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've gone against your way. God, I desire to follow after you for all of my days. I desire to lift up Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I know that Jesus will change my life forever. It's as simple as that. You don't have to use my words. There's no power in my words. The power is in the confession and in the belief. And if you prayed that prayer, again, type home in the comments. We would absolutely love to talk with you and walk with you along this next stage of your spiritual journey. 
Thank you again for tuning in. If you did not have the chance to give, I want you to click the app uh, link or the giving link up in the description or in the pinned comment, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube. That'll take you directly to places where you can set up a one-time or recurring gift if you want to sow into the kingdom. There's no compulsion. We're not trying to scheme to get money out of you. That's not our desire at all, at all. We just believe in giving and in generosity because it reflects the heart of the kingdom of God and also so that ministry can be done, true ministry can be done as well. Well, church, I hope to see you next week here at the NDCC Online Worship Experience. Same time, same place, we are going to be here and I know that God is going to meet you. I pray that God stays with you, that it's not just here on a Sunday morning, but I pray that God stays with you throughout the week. I speak blessings upon you, the power and the peace of God upon you as you go into real life now. Go and apply and do what God has taught you today. Well, this is Pastor Tyler and on behalf of our entire team. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Be blessed.